waiting it out just a little bit longer, it was like, I got faster, then I got slower. And then I got significantly faster because I suddenly like hit all the way of that like caterpillar to a butterfly moment. <laughs> it's no longer about the speed and strength and timing. Of course, you you still need to train that. So we, we add some stimulus with some of those things. But then you start to take that for granted. And you're kind of like, oh, another hard workout. But when you first come back, you're so grateful for the opportunity. So I think being able to adopt that mindset really can stem from a place of, of heavy gratitude. When I realized that I was like, okay, like I'm going all in on my organization called the believe initiative. And it's filling me up now. Like it is truly like, it's my whole day. And I love what I get to do for me. Like if we think back to the beginning, that coach who saw me in high school and said, you need to do track and field. Like that coach believed in me before I ever believed in myself. Hey guys, and welcome back to the I Love Success podcast. I am super excited that you're here today with me, listening, watching on your drive home from work, on your workout, on your meditation. Maybe we are here for you to fall asleep. Whatever you're doing, I'm super grateful. And I hope you're not just listening. I hope you're taking notes. I hope you are ready to to make your life a little bit better and become what you are striving for. I'm a big believer in goals. I've written a book about it. And I I think it's so important to have goals, but the goals has to come from yourself, not from your mom, your dad, or anybody else. Look into yourself. What do I really want? What, what will make me happy? And if you don't know that, Go out and explore. You know, uh, try new things. Uh, see where, see what makes you tick. And it's an exciting journey to be alive and to be able to overcome these hurdles. And speaking of hurdles, we have an amazing guest today. But before before I am going to talk about hurdles with her, uh, I also want to say thank you to Remarkable. I have written down my goals basically since I was 15 years old and always, always believe in the the magic of putting pen to paper. And I never wrote down my goals on my computer or my phone. Uh, But now with the Remarkable, I actually write them down on on the Remarkable because it's a pen to paper, just digital. So if you want to look cool and and do something more modern, check out the Remarkable and uh, specifically Remarkable too. It's it's an amazing tool and you, you don't get the light from from all the screens that are out there today and making us crazy and wanna want us to, you know, just look for, for validation all the time. So speaking of hurdles again, I have an amazing, amazing guest here today. Her name is Sarah Wells. She's an Olympian. She has worked tirelessly to become great at her sport. And now she's sharing her tools with the world in order for them to believe more in themselves. She's super cool. She even has a tattoo uh, with the uh, with the words "believe" on her wrist, and she did that tattoo uh, when when she was 
qualifying for the Olympics, correct me if I'm wrong, and when she actually went to the Olympics that she decided to put the rings under. And that's just one thing that when you have a goal and you, you make it real, I mean, writing, speaking about writing down your goals, right? Putting it as a tattoo on your, on your wrist is, is pre- pretty badass. So without further ado, Sarah Wells, welcome to the I Love Success podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Looking forward to this. Yeah, so heart to heart um, between you and me, I know you were pretty much cut from all the sports teams in school. And how did you find the love for sports after that? Yeah, so you're right. I, even though I am now an Olympic athlete, people don't believe me when I tell them I sucked at sports. I really, really did. I wanted to find some type of sport that would be a sense of belonging, that would, you know, I'd be part of something. I would be able to find friends in that group. And I think as high school students, we all want that. And when I went out for basketball and volleyball and soccer and badminton and like all the sports, I got cut from every single team. And so I was convinced I was the least athletic human on the planet. And I honestly, I feel like I was defeated in the moment, but I hadn't found anything that I felt like I was really good at. And so because I wasn't attached to it, I kind of was like, oh, well, I guess it's not basketball. Ah, well, I guess it's not soccer. And for people ask me all the time, like what, what enabled you to keep going? And I think why I kept trying out for those teams is I had pretty amazing environmental conditions in the fact that I am so close with my siblings and there's four of us total. Um, And so I have two older sisters and one younger brother and they've just created the most amazing um, support network for me. My eldest sister, she actually would create these siblings days for us because she was eight years older than I was. And I thought it was so cool when she was 18 and I'm 10 years old and she wants to hang out with me. And she plans these fun siblings day with none of my parents, just the four of us. Like it's the best day of my life as a 10 year old. And I think because I had them, they were so important to me. I had this sense of belonging. I had this unwavering love and support that I honestly, I don't think I realized it at the time, but I really think that that provided me a sense of security that I'm so grateful for and a sense of support and love that I'm so grateful for that I was able to kind of fall down on my face multiple, multiple, multiple times. And until, you know, going through the ninth grade at the very end of it, I haven't made one team, not even one. And it's rolling into the final parts of the year. And in gym class, a high school teacher saw me run over to the ball, get there, do nothing with it. just completely like zero skill, kicked it probably somewhere random and then ran away again. And that high school teacher who saw this, he's like, you should come up for the track team. He's like, I want to teach you how to hurdle. I was like, dude, I already got cut from every single team at this school. Like, you don't want me on your team. And he was like, no, no, no. I think, like, I just saw you accelerate. And I think I could teach you how to, how to run hurdles. And so I went out for the team. And within a few months, we actually made my very first national team, which was the World Youth Championships that was happening in Marrakesh, Morocco. And so I suddenly got this, like, incredible world experience traveling over to Marrakesh, Morocco, competing for my country. And I was like, oh. I guess I'm kind of good at this. <laughs> and that's when I suddenly was like, okay, I'm going to be two fleet in on track and field. And that high school teacher, like my goodness, I owe that man my life. Like he changed the course and direction 
that I was on and we're still connected to this day. Like he's invited to my wedding. Like he's a big part of my life. And that high school teacher and I stayed court coach and athlete for nine years until we made the Olympics together, which is pretty unheard of for your high school teacher to become your Olympic coach. <laughs> yeah, that, that's super cool. And one thing that I, my takeaway from this story is also that we're all like, especially in high school and there's people that are older than that. We're searching for something that we're good at. And sometimes we don't know what we're good at, but, but I, I truly believe that we all have, you know, several skills that we can become good at. We just need to try and explore and, and somebody like your high school coach will take notice and help, help us in a way. Right. And mm. how, how was that experience like from like a high school girl to becoming an elite athlete like what how how was that experience how did it change you uh, as a as a person and also in your mind i mean certainly it was a roller coaster ride like any pursuit of success it's um ups and downs and highs and lows and my story was riddled with injuries along the way and in many of my keynotes that i'll share on stages with corporate clients or at colleges and universities, um, I'll speak to one particular story of the year before my first Olympics when I got injured with a stress fracture, which is like a deterioration of your bone from the inside out. It turns into a crack and it was in my femur, which is the biggest bone in your body. And so right before the Olympics, my femur is cracking in half and I'd never touched Olympic standard. And so I've been telling everyone I want to make the Olympic Games. And now right before, after all this work, all of this time, I seemingly like watched this dream just slip away. And I was supposed to sit out for only three months and it ended up turning into nine months. And so for nine months, the year before the Olympics, I'm just sitting around. I can't do any weight bearing activity because I can't load my broken leg. And everyone tells me to remain realistic. And on my first day back to training, you know, you spoke about the tattoo in the intro. Yeah. Um, on my first day back to training, I got the word believe tattooed onto my wrist. And I said, when I make the Olympic Games, I'm going to put the rings underneath here. And there's a whole roller coaster ride of the story behind that. But like basically six months later, I win the Olympic trials and go to the Olympic Games and not just make it there, but then finish as an Olympic semifinalist and one of the youngest competitors in the field. And so I'm like, holy moly, like believing in yourself works. Like, you know, we hear that all the time, but we kind of just let it go in one year and out the other because we think it's light and fluffy. And for people who have their head in the clouds and not for people who understand reality. And I think that's because many of us look at believing in ourselves when we hear it as like this thing where we assume it's like, what we mean by that is like walk into a room and be like, I got this, I believe in myself. And it's like, no, that's not going to get you the dream and goal. Like, of course not. So if you think of believing yourself like that, then yeah, you're right. That is light and fluffy and not realistic. But believing in yourself to me, like what I learned in that roller coaster ride of pursuing the Olympic Games was that it was being willing to have a vision so big and so scary that people do think you're crazy for having it. And then knowing that there's going to be challenges and trying to find the path without challenges is a silly plan because there's going to be something that comes up. And so having the grit to know like this is a big goal. 
There's probably going to be challenges along the way, but I'm going to hold my ground. I'm going to be gritty to know that it's going to challenge me. And I still want to go for it. And then when those obstacles do start arising, that you have the resilience to overcome every single one of those obstacles, because you believe so strongly that if anyone can do this, it's you. And that's really what I mean by believing in yourself is that vision, grit, and resilience. And I think through my years in sport and um, like, not even just in sport, but like in school and in life, like I've seen this reoccurring over and over again of how important those three elements are to that building that sense sense of self-belief. Yeah, I agree with you. And I'm curious though, during those months that you were basically on the sidelines and have had a lot, a lot of time to think and what the times where you were doubting yourself, what, what process did you have in your mind to kind of go back on track? Cause we see this a lot of times, not only in sports, but in business, you get injured or you lose money or whatever it might mm-hmm. be. And you're like, you, you believe that you're going to come back, but then as the months go by, your belief, you know, declines and, very, very few people actually, you know, go the whole whole route. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's kind of three things I recommend that people do and, and are things that I did in those nine months off. The first thing was the word, finding your word. For me, that was believe. I tattooed it onto my wrist. You don't have to get a tattoo, everyone who's here. Um, but I often encourage people to like find your word and then write it down or make it your phone background or like put it on a post-it note where you're going to run into it every day. Because sometimes that just though seeing the one word kind of reignites the fire of why you ever had that goal in the first place or why you yesterday said you could when today for some reason you think you can't. And so finding that word is like, I tattooed it onto me so that I could always see it. Um, But you can put that wherever it is, wherever you want. The other tactic that I use a lot and I often encourage people to do is to journal and keep a log of you're like daily pursuit of that goal. And of course, some days are not going to be these like massive steps forward, but it's about tracking and recording even those small, minute changes. And so as a track athlete, that looked for me like recording my workout. Like, what did I run? What was my rest? How was I feeling? How did I sleep the night before? Uh, What were the like areas I was focusing on? What went well? What didn't? And it painted me a holistic picture of what was going on around me and at the training state, um, at my training that day. And then I could see over time daily, I would keep that. Now you don't have to do it daily. You could do it weekly. Um, I mean like monthly is maybe like as long as I would keep it or drawn out, but recording that progress because we can be really good and get defeated and deflated and not keep staying motivated and let go of that dream and turn away from it when we feel like we're not making progress. And so keeping that journal and that log, we can get into our own heads and be like, oh, why am I even trying to do this? Like, I should just step away. Like everyone's better than me. I haven't made a progress in a month. Like this has been a terrible year. Like I'm a terrible business person. Like you can like get into your own head. But if you go back to this log and you look and you're like, well, sure, I did have a bad workout today, but let's look at the last three days. Like I told, I said, I had three bad sleeps in a row. Like that makes sense. So it's not that I suck. It's that I need to make changes about my environmental conditions around getting a better sleep. What am I fueling myself with? Because that's why today sucked, not because I'm terrible. And then it also shows you that like, okay, maybe I'm thinking that like the, my training has been terrible for a month. 
But instead I can look back and be like, oh, look, yeah, okay. It's been a bad week. It hasn't been my best showing, but last week was actually pretty good. And actually the week before that was really impressive. So has it been a bad week? Yeah. Has it been a bad month? No, but we're so convinced in our heads that it has been. But this way by journaling, you log it and you can rewrite. And you're not just saying like, it's not like that. I know people will talk about like thought stopping of like, don't let that thought come into your head and just replace it with this positive one. Like sometimes that's not possible because you're like, no, that's literally all I'm saying to myself. And this way, it doesn't feel like you're just trying to override that negative voice with something positive, but instead you are proving to yourself with like qualitative science that that is untrue. And that's how you can keep motivated and keep pushing forward. Um, And so I kept that log daily, but I would encourage you to keep it. You don't have to do it daily, but like at least once a week. And it really, really helps keep pushing on those days where you feel super defeated and deflated. Yeah, I love that. And I'm curious in a sport like 400 meter hurdles, you, you, it's very easy to measure like how fast you run, right? And how does that affect you in training? Because we all, we all want to see improvement and, and in a race that's 400 meters, not that much time. So it's hard to cut off time, right? And how does that, uh, how does that affect an, an athlete and a human being measuring yourself that much? So you're right that track and field, like milliseconds matter and you can train your butt off for like a whole year, months and months running till you make yourself sick. Like you're in the gym every day, like four hours, like on the track, in the weight room, physio treatments, like doing all the stuff only to, by the end of the year, improve by 0.3 of a second. But I think it's all a matter of perspective because I know that 0.3 of a second is a big deal because the changes are so minute and like a small improvement like that when you are at really high, um, like when you're at a threshold now where like early on in your career, you make leaps and bounds up the mountain because your development isn't as refined. But as you get closer and closer to like, what is your peak level? Those improvements are quite small. And so I think it's about understanding the perspective of like, okay, yeah, it makes sense that I'm no longer improving by entire seconds because I'm, I'm at a really high level. Like I'm, I'm now competing at the times that the best in the world are only a second apart. So I can't keep improving one second every year or I'm probably doping, (laughs) but, um, so I think like, I actually loved the measurement to the degree that it was because there's very few things that you can measure so microscopically that from yesterday to today, you know, you got 0.1 of a second better, you know, like right now it's like, you might be better off as a um, podcast host. You might've improved since yesterday, but can you really measure it from yesterday to today? Not as well as I can measure how quickly I got faster. Like, and so while it's challenging to have a measuring stick and like a microscope, microscope over your development, it's also like the best thing ever because it's like, I can see every single day that I'm taking steps forward. And so I loved being able to measure. I'm actually like nervous now that I've just retired just a year ago. I'm like, man, like I can't measure anything else like that. Like what else? Like, how can I bring this this same system to something else? You know? So, um, 
yeah, I love measuring that that closely. Interesting. And speaking about mindset and measuring, did you ever get slower at some point in your career? And how did that affect your mindset? Yeah, actually, I was just telling my partner the other day that um, a moment where right before I had one of my really big breakthrough times, it was the first time I ever hit Olympic standard. Right before that, I took a step backwards where like I had been developing. I was like, okay, maybe the Olympic standard is possible. And I had made a few steps forward. And I was like, okay, like we're getting close. We can totally do this. And then suddenly I got slower. And I was like, what is happening? Like, I only, I need to be getting closer to Olympic standard, not further away. And really what was happening was that as a 400 meter hurdler, there's 10 hurdles all the way around the track. And there's a pattern and a rhythm that you run because when you start the race, your muscles are pretty elastic because you're not tired yet. But as you get more tired and more tight and more lactic acid takes over your body, your muscles get tighter and gummier and you just don't have the same stride length anymore because you're just like more rigid. So at the beginning of the race, um, you have a certain stride length and that, that creates a certain stride pattern. Now, when you get, so that's what happens when you get like, when your stride length and shortens, if you get tired. But as you get stronger, when, you, when you're able to lift more in the weight room, you recruit more muscles, you can pull on more of those fibers and your stride length for every step, you're more powerful. So you go further for each stride length. And after I had been developing, I was getting faster. Like I said, heading into the final months of the Olympic qualifying period. Well, suddenly my training, I was, I was advancing. I was like, almost like caterpillar to a butterfly. Like I was in a moment of transitioning. And so what was tricky is we had a stride pattern that would work where I would be able to take, and I'm going to potentially confuse everyone here but you would take 26 steps from the blocks to hurdle one. And then you would take 16 strides from hurdle one to hurdle two. And that was because as I gained that momentum, my my stride length was a certain length. And so it would allow me to take 26 strides up to hurdle one. When I got faster, my every stride was just maybe half an inch longer than, or not faster. When I got stronger, every stride was half an inch longer. So now instead of being able to very easily take 26 strides, now every inch off, like every like stride length that was one inch extra meant that I was getting to the hurdle too soon. I was only between, I was like 25 and a half strides to get to hurdle one. And so I wasn't far enough away that I could safely take off, but I was too close to be able to not like break and then jump over the hurdle. Timing and issue. So, pardon? It was a timing issue, right? Yeah, exactly. Like I was getting too close because I had I was taking less strides. Like I had shaved off about half of a stride total. And so because I had to break and then jump over it because I was too close to the hurdle, well, now all my times are getting slower and slower because at each hurdle, I'm too close. So I'm breaking and then jumping and then breaking and then jumping. And so what was happening though was I was just, I was getting to a place of getting faster. And I had to ride it out for that period where I was half a stride to, like I had gone half a stride and I needed to get one full stride faster because then when I got back to 25 strides, now I wasn't in between a stride anymore. I was at the perfect point for 25. So 
hopefully I haven't confused everyone in the way I've described that, but um, they're absolutely like I was developing, I was just getting stronger. But while I was getting stronger, I was a little bit in between the two places. And so waiting it out just a little bit longer, it was like, I got faster, then I got slower. And then I got significantly faster because I suddenly like hit all the way of that like caterpillar to a butterfly moment. <laughs> yeah, no, I love that. And I think that's, that's life. You know, when you mm -hmm. grow, sometimes you have to take a step back, even if it's, it might not be a step back, but that's what it feels like in it that moment. It feels like, certainly, yeah. Uh, but it's like the story of three feet from gold. You just have to keep moving forward. And mm -hmm. the, the people that do, they they see that, that moment of, of joy and, and excellence. I'm, I'm curious, as far as uh, running 400 meter hurdles, how much is speed and how much is timing and how much is mindset? Like, I mean, it's hard to put like an exact percentage of each. Yeah. They all play a role. Like every single one of them are important and they all play a role. And at different times of the season, will maybe emphasize a different one of those. Yeah. Um, early on in the season, you want to be like running fast, like racing your body into shape. The more you push its potential, the more that you see where your boundaries are, like how, how where is too much and where is too little? Where did I hold back too much? So early on in the season, we're pushing speed. We're pushing like, let's see what your body can do. Because if we screw up here and there, and we lose a race or we hit a hurdle early on in the season, those ones aren't as important. You know, it's like regular season games for, for um, team sports. It's like not every single game is that important. But then as we move through the season, now we've learned our boundaries. We know what we can play in. And now we need to start focusing on that pattern and timing and getting our, our stride pattern down. Like how many steps do I want to take between each hurdle? How do I get over the hurdle faster? There's like a technique aspect because now we know how fast we need to go. Now let's really refine the pattern and the timing. And then that allows you to like squeeze out a bit more potential out of yourself. So you get a little faster. And then now you're approaching end of the season. Now you're getting to Olympic qualifiers. Now you're at the Olympics. Now you're like gunning for a medal at national championships and international games. And now you put the work in, the training is done. You know, your race plan, you've done it tons of times already this year. Now we're all up in our heads and it's just, it's not just about mindset, but there's a heavy weight on mindset because now it's important to know that like, don't back down, don't doubt yourself, like find a way to push through the pain, know that you are capable, like stay present in the moment while you're racing. Um, so then it like, follows that pattern because now even my training when we start getting close to olympic games or national championships and stuff like that my training is like could consist of two intervals and that's it <laughs> that would be the whole workout because it's no longer about high in high intensity and high volume instead it's like let's go practice basically doing a race like it's really specific it's really um, focused on exactly what you are doing to perform and so it's no longer about the speed and strength and timing. Of course, you you still need to train that. So we, we add some stimulus with some of those things, but we really heavily weight around mindset in those moments. Yeah. And 
I'm curious on on race day. Uh, what were your strengths on race day when you performed the best? Mm. Um, so I think like there's probably two questions there. Like, what were my strengths, and what did I do um, on race day? <laughs> so like my on race day, my rituals that I would do would be wake up. I would eat like toast and eggs like every morning. Um, I would right before my race, not right before, like two and a half hours out from my race, I would eat a peanut butter and banana sandwich without fail for years and years and years, peanut butter and banana sandwich. Um, and I would also (laughs) in my warm up, I would listen to the exact same playlist every single race for the first three songs. I would listen to words that or sorry, listen to songs that had the word believe in them. And they were just like these powerful songs that really got me into the right mindset. And they had my word that I needed to find strength to like convince myself I could do this. And so those were like my rituals. Like what I did every race was like eat the same thing for breakfast, have my exact my peanut butter and banana sandwich, and then listen to my believe songs in my warm-up. And that would set me up for success. Um, Now, the things that I feel like I did well on race day was that I was a big fan of visualization. And you know how like, anytime you do anything for the first time, you're the most nervous. Like (laughs) the first time you're doing anything, you're more unsure, you're a bit uncertain, like there's more butterflies in your stomach, like everything is just like a little bit scarier. But when you've done it a second time, a third time, like fourth time, fifth time, seventh time, then it's just like you are able to act with more composure and you can think straighter and you can be more focused. And so what I would do is I would sit on my bed the day of the race, whether it was like at the hotel before the, the meet or, you know, if it was a local meet, whatever, I'd sit on my bed with my eyes closed and I would start my stopwatch when I imagined myself coming out of the blocks. And then I would go through my entire race plan of like, okay, I heard a one, I'm thinking this, going through things, like feeling the wind at my back. Okay. I heard a four. I'm thinking this, I heard a seven, I heard a nine. I'm doing this. I'm driving my leg. I'm charging home. I'm feeling the weight of being tired. And I would get over the final hurdle, charge to the finish line, lean at the line, stop my watch when I imagined myself leaning at the line. And I could get within one to two seconds of what I would actually run that day because I had I had like lived the race so many times that my timing was just like, I was genuinely running at the pace in my head that I would have lived it out in real life. And what that helped me do is by the time I got to the start line, I didn't have to worry about anything in the race except for my first step. I just had to focus on one thing because I knew many times I'd already gone over the perfect race plan. And as long as I do this step one, well, then that enables step two, which enables step three, four, five, six. And then I know that I just keep following what I've done a million times that day already. And that that will get me to the finish line in the time that I hoped. Now, did 100% of my races go well? No. Did a lot of them because of that? I think so. Yeah. <laughs> because it really helped me know exactly what to do. And also just quiet that voice of like, oh my God, but what about hurdle four? Do you remember what you're going to do there? You totally need to know what you're doing there. Like instead it was just like, what's the one thing? 
And it was incredibly helpful. <laughs> yeah, I bet. And uh, Sarah, I study success and I want to redefine success and the definition of success in, in I feel like most of us look at success as performance, but mm-hmm. I, I also want to incorporate happiness. So I'm, I'm curious, does performance lead to happiness? So I love that. And I love that you're on a mission to change the definition of success because I feel similarly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll answer this kind of long-windedly as I have done this whole time, but... Uh, so remind it. me if I don't answer your question, re-ask me. Sarah, this is um, this is honoring your journey. The the yeah. more I'm quiet, the better it is. <laughs> no. Um, so I end every single keynote I do, every single time. This is my like token line. Like I want this internet, I want this this quote to be like an internet sensation where it says like said by Sarah Wells. You know? <laughs> In a perfect world, this t- really catches on. It becomes a classic. But I finish every single keynote with hard work doesn't always lead to success, but being resilient will always lead to another opportunity for it because we're not always going to get that outcome. As hard as you try, you can do all the right stuff. You can deserve it. You can earn it. You can like should have, would have all the things, but that doesn't mean you're going to get that outcome. And so hard work doesn't always lead to success. But being resilient will always help you find the next opportunity for it. Because no matter what the thing is, I have no doubt, even if you didn't get it, you can still pick the lessons learned and pick them up and apply them over here for that next opportunity. And so as long as you are willing to get back up, to look for the next opportunity, to ask for help where you need it, to be able to get back on your course, well, then you're always going to find the next opportunity for success because the things that do allow you to achieve, the times where you do get the thing, where you do achieve success, it's not the success moment that makes you have stronger sense of belief or feel more accomplished. It's not the actual outcome. It's the action that took place ahead of that, that you were disciplined, you were determined, you were resilient, you were courageous, you were positive, like whatever those character traits are that enabled that. That's really what you need. And so for me, success isn't defined by achievements. Success is defined by actions. And I encourage everyone, like my, I now run a youth organization called the Believe Initiative. And the Believe Initiative helps people build self-belief through action. Because I know that's how you build self-belief. Like it's not about just accomplishing and achieving and, and getting the outcome. But it's about what actions can you take so that you can say, oh, I did that. I was the person who embodied that experience. Like I was the person who can clearly push past, overcome, find a way. And even if I didn't get the thing, I can still be that person again for the new pursuit I'm on. And so the Believe Initiative has now impacted over 120,000 people who have built what I call Believe Passion Projects that help them connect a passion they have a problem they want to solve and they use that passion to solve that problem and build self-belief through action. And so redefining success for me is like, how can we help more people simply just take action so that they can see what they're capable of so that they can see that, that this, there, there's so much more to the pursuit of a big goal than getting the outcome. 
And I think by enabling the opportunity to find those things, to connect passions you have, like things you love to do, to helping serve other people, whether it's like local community problems, greater global problems, um, you can really build that sense of self-belief and redefine what success looks like. Yeah. And speaking about success, I'm also thinking about my career as an athlete. And in the beginning, I could not enjoy the competitions because it was so important for me to perform that I, I held on to it too much. And of course, I learned to enjoy the, the longer I, I competed. So I'm curious, were you able to enjoy the com competitions or was it more like, hey, I'm going to enjoy when this is done and I can like sit back and relax? Yeah, I was a hurt. Like I put so much pressure on myself <laughs> that I was never, plus my sport, track and field is like, there's a shirt, like my sport is your sports punishment. Like we... <laughs> We literally exercise for a living, like as hard as you can run till you make yourself sick. Like there's no game. There's no ball to chase. Like you're literally just running until you die. Like it's so hard and not that other sports, other sports are very hard. Um, but there's just like this. You should try <laughs> getting mindset. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Fair enough. If anyone touches me, they get disqualified. Actually, so I'm living a dream over here. Um, but in terms of like the physiological, um, I don't know, like demand that you'll put on your body in a race. For me, I never saw it as like, yay, can't wait to run till I throw up. <laughs> like yeah. it was just like hard to enjoy. And that had a little bit to a nature to do with the distance I ran. Like I ran 400 hurdles, which is an anaerobic long sprint. And so you put your body into a state that it's like not supposed to do. <laughs> and so that's why it like shuts down. You start like, you know, peanut butter and banana sandwiches everywhere. But like, um, yeah, like I can't say I ever enjoyed the competition factor, which is sad because I know other people who can and do. But for me, I was never able to get to that point. For me, what I loved, what I really enjoyed was when you finish the race, you've endured that pain, you're laying on the floor like an absolute like dead fish, like you can't move, your body is so overwhelmed with lactic acid and you're just like, wow, my body is amazing. Like, I can't believe I just ran that time. Like, I can't believe I just pushed myself to that point. Like, this is so cool. And you just go to sleep that night just so pleased <laughs> that to me, like all the hard workouts, the pain of the race, like when you get those moments where you run a personal best, where you have those highs, it's just like, it's so worth it. And so sadly, I wasn't a person that enjoyed, like on the start line, I was like, I hate this sport. I hate this sport. Why am I here? I we hate all this sport. <laughs> yeah. It was like 0% fun. Um, but it's interesting. Um, you know, my best performance was when I enjoyed it fully, but I also think about, you know, I've been, you were talking about putting tremendous pressure on yourself and not caving into that. And that's basically what I, I've seen with the best athletes and the, the, best, the people accomplishing the best results. Uh, it doesn't necessarily, unfortunately, don't lead to, you know, happiness but it need, mm -hmm. it leads to performance uh, do you think there's a better way now when you look back at your career and and 
being involved and seeing other people as well. Like another way to happiness or what do you mean? No, uh, another way to, to perform at a very high level mm. at your level, but still enjoy it more. Yeah, absolutely. I think there are people who do feel that way that um, are able to adopt a mindset where it's like, and like you said, there's, there's been a handful of races where maybe like, like you had your experience, like I, there's maybe one race. I remember not putting a lot of, I had just ran really well, like three days prior. And so it was kind of like a, ah, let's just see what happens here. If I don't run well today, that's fine. I just ran really fast. And so it's yeah. totally fine. My body's probably tired. Like you like come up with a reason of like why there isn't as much pressure. And then it's like, I ran so fast that day. And there are people who are able to bring that mindset to every single race. And I'm sure like to every fight in your case and people, every game in other athletes case. And so I think there is another way. Was I good at that? Hell no. <laughs> like I was not good at that. And I think that the same things that make you great are the like your weaknesses are your strengths overdone. Right. Yeah. So I was able to perform at the level I was because even in the workout, even in a race where the whole rest of the racers were like significantly had different personal bests that were like much further away than mine. I still would put all this pressure on myself. Like I need to show up. I need to perform. I need to do this. Even though it's like, I knew I was going to win. It wasn't a big deal about winning, but I wanted to make sure I ran to the level that I could like my best potential. And that made me really great because I was always a racer. Like I was always game ready to like perform, to do it. Cause I wanted to like, every race was a big deal, even if it was just a local meet. And that's what made me great. <laughs> but then it's also the thing that makes us break down and like overtrain and have a mindset where it's like, you're on the start line being like, I hate this. I hate this. <laughs> and so I think could like, like I said, could I have performed differently? And is it possible? A hundred percent. The ways to do that, I think are, are honestly about like remembering the like almost like coming from a place of gratitude like I get to do this not like I have to do this and and reminding yourself of that because there were certainly moments where coming out of an injury if you suddenly had a really hard workout you were just so happy that you get to do the hard workout again because for so long you weren't able to but then you start to take that for granted and you're kind of like oh another hard workout but when you first come back you're so grateful for the opportunity so I think being able to adopt that mindset really can stem from a place of, of heavy gratitude. I'm curious how they say when an athlete stops competing is that's a part of them die. Uh, can you share your moment when you decided to, to stop and how, how you have started to start to find or where you are in the process now of, you know, your new chapter in life and, and bringing new uh, challenges and, and, and bringing back that, you know, joy and happiness, which is so hard to, for people that have never competed on that high level, it, I think you can almost, I don't know, I, I don't have kids yet, but I think you can probably compare it to some amazing experience, like having kids, like being on the highest level and competing. It's mm -hmm. everyday life. It's so hard to, to, to <laughs> get to that feeling. Right. 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 Yeah. For me, what it came down to was I, I was making choices. Um, 
because I wanted to be building these tools and I wanted to, to take all my lessons from sport and put them in to different workshops and training and, and certification and like, what can we do with this? And so everything I, like my mind, as soon as I left the track was like, okay, let's build this business. Like, what else can we do? How else can I like leverage my experience and, and really productize my experience? And I yeah. started getting so excited by all of that. Um, and now suddenly like I wasn't sleeping as long because I would be like waking up early, going to do this speech, then going to training. Then I'd be like, get on a plane, fly to this place, like go do a speech, do your training in a like hotel parking lot, and then get on a plane, fly back home, train the next day. And so it was just so clear that my heart wasn't in it anymore, that I was now trying to to build something else. And clearly that showed me that like, if you consistently make these choices, then like you have to own that. Like you can't say you want to go to the Olympic games yet be sleeping five hours a night and training in hotel parking lots. Like that's not okay. And so it was just a matter of really reflecting on myself. Like, do I really want this? Like, do I say I want the dream? Like, sure. I would love to go to another Olympics, but do I really? Because I'm saying I do, but I'm not putting in the work necessary to do that. And so that alone was al allowed me to reflect and just say, I think it's time. And I'm okay with that because I'm loving what I'm getting to do. And I'm getting to impact like over a hundred thousand people yeah. using my story. And that's been so rewarding. And I thought I could only make an impact on the track. And suddenly I'm realizing how much more of an impact I can make in sharing my experience and inspiring others to leverage their own stories and be resilient and build self-belief. And so when I realized that, I was like, okay, like I'm going all in on my organization called the Believe Initiative. And it's filling me up now. Like it is truly, like it's my whole day and I love what I get to do. Wow. Yeah. I'm getting goosebumps because I think we all as athletes or any human being, you come to a road, uh, what's it called? A crossroad in your life mm -hmm. and you have to make a decision and actually look at what your, is your actions in alignment with what you're saying that you want? And I think mm -hmm. that is, if you're listening to this right now, we hear it all the time. I want to do this. I want to do that. But are you actually doing it or do you just like the idea of, of doing it? Right. Right. Um, and it's hard, especially if you've dedicated your life to something to such, such a long time, it's hard to find, mm -hmm. find that new, new route. And, um, but I'm glad that you had that moment that you were, had, you had something else that took over a lot of, a lot of people mm -hmm. don't have that. They have to find yeah. that again. You were in a good position, which which I I really like. And uh, I know you got to go. So I have one final question to you mm -hmm. and then we'll let you go. Uh, for people that are listening to this show, um, now my phone is calling. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm not even going to look. And I put it on sleeping mode. So I know, right? It's not, apparently it's just not working today. <laughs> it's not working. Yeah. Uh, so... Final question for people that actually have listened and stayed the full course here and want to create an impact in their own life. What would be the first step they can do right after this show? Ask for help. Whatever that goal is that you have in mind, whatever 
obstacle you're facing or the thing you're like, I wish I could do this, but this is in the way. Or I have this dream that I want to get here. Now, as soon as you pick whatever that thing's going to be, obstacle you need to get by, or what goal you now want to set, think of three people that might know something about achieving that thing or about overcoming that obstacle, and then go ask them for help. Paint them the picture of like, this is what I'm headed. This is why I want to do it. This is what I want to know about getting there. What, what can you share with me? Because just by finding that mentor or guide or person that can just offer a little bit of assistance will allow you to fast forward your ability to get to that dream, like well beyond what you ever thought possible. And for me, like if we think back to the beginning, that coach who saw me in high school and said, you need to do track and field. That coach believed in me before I ever believed in myself. My niece is three years old and clearly has her like gotten a hold of the phone and I don't know how to turn it off. So I really apologize to everyone. <laughs> no, no worries. No worries. We, <laughs> I hope you, you guys got, got the message and uh, you know, this, this is life. We're all going to be distracted all the time, but we just yeah. have to kindly, don't be hard on yourself, kindly take yourself back to the moment. Right. And Thank you so much, Sarah Wells. Uh, before I let you go, if people want to connect with you, where's the best place? You can go to sarahwells.ca. Um, if you Google Sarah Wells Olympian, you'll find my name anyways. But uh, sarahwells.ca or to hear more about my youth organization, go to believeinitiative.com. It's a lot of vowels, so be careful. <laughs> but <laughs> sarahwells.ca and believeinitiative.com. And on Instagram, I'm sarahwells400mh, like Sarah Wells 400 meter hurdles. Awesome. And thank you guys for being here. And one thing that I did not mention, but I really love with Sarah is something that she said in one of her speech. And that was change I can't to I can't yet. Uh, so I think that's the message for today. Check us out at ilovesuccess.co. More than 200 episodes with amazing people. I want to help at least 10 million people to go after their dreams. The only way I can do that is that you help me. So share this show and let's spread the love, spread the message. Thank you so much and talk to you soon.